Hello and welcome back to episode two of St. Gabriel Logos podcast. That's right, it's week two and we've already changed the name. Uh, we decided to go with uh, with Logos. Adam, how do you feel about that? I'm, uh, I'm uh, content with that. Content, all right. And no, this is not St. Gabriel's Logos, not, not that, it's, it's Logos. It's the Greek word for, well, the word. Uh, it's the Word of God, uh, and, and that's really what we're trying to bring to you through this podcast, so we decided that would be a pretty good name for it. Oh, then I'm above content now that I know what it actually means. Excellent. Right. Excellent. Um, it, is, it is, in fact, Easter, so happy Easter to all of you out there. Uh, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And that greeting in and of itself actually comes from, uh, from ancient times in the, in the very early church where... Uh, Christians would greet each other that way. He is risen. He is risen indeed, and they would use it as uh, as code uh, because Christianity was very much illegal, and Christians were were persecuted on a daily basis. The government didn't really know what was going on, so they would they would say that they would say he is risen. He is risen indeed, and then they would know that those people were Christians. Didn't they also uh, draw the fish in the sand? Yes, yes, symbol? they did. They used uh, the the ichthys symbol, which is the Greek word for fish. That's a cool word, isn't it? Kind of like the that word you you whipped out last week. Which the, one was that? Was that the tritum or triduum? Triduum. It's tr- got two U's next to each other. Not you don't see that very often. Should we just call it a W and be done with it? Or we could. Yeah. Then it'd be even more hard to pronounce. Indeed, triduum. I don't know. Um, so today we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Uh, but did you know? that there are still many people who believe that it never happened. Is that so? It is so. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a very famous atheist named Richard Dawkins uh, who said that accounts of Jesus' resurrection are about as well documented as uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. Oh, yes, I've heard of this Richard Dawkins. Have you? Oh, actually, I believe he likes to be re- referred to as a doctor, Richard Dawkins. Ah, okay. Doctor and what, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but... Uh, his his credibility is actually really being uh, challenged right now because he's uh, been refusing to actually debate people of his stature. <laughs> really, he'll only de- debate below his intelligence level. A- apparently, um, he he will talk and talk and talk, but when it comes time to actually like argue with someone, he he backs out every time. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and take a look at some of the uh, the accounts of Jesus' resurrection and and, and just kind of see what what's really going on here. Um, if we look, uh, obviously the best accounts for Jesus' resurrection are from the Gospels. Uh, and if you, you take a look uh, at the Gospels, they, they really are some of the more reliable accounts uh, in, in ancient history, um, just as far as, as how well they were written and, and how well they were documented. Uh, in fact, there uh, are several hundred checkable, reliable facts that you that you can glean from the gospel, and they, they refer to specific places, specific things that have been found in archaeology and have been found to be true. <clears throat> so we're looking at the the gospels uh, in that, and and the gospel accounts from that. And uh, if we take a look at some of the things that the gospels said, um, you'll find some things that wouldn't be very common if you were trying to make up a lie, if you were trying to fabricate a story. Uh, and the first of those is that the first people who reported the empty tomb were women. Um, why do you think that if you were trying to make something up, you wouldn't have women report the empty tomb? Um, well, I think that would be because uh, women didn't really have credibility back then. 
Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, if you take a look at the uh, rabbinic writings of the time, the, the writings made by the uh, the Jewish high priests and elders, um, a woman's testimony was just as valid as that of a thief. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in fact, women uh, were not considered as, as reliable witnesses, uh, and those were the first people to report the empty tomb. Uh, the second reason um, that it's widely believed that this can't be just made up is that this whole rumor of the resurrection, news of the resurrection, started in Jerusalem. Uh, and why would that be a problem if they made it up? Because Jesus was buried in Jerusalem, and if the tomb was empty, they could just go check? Yeah, absolutely. Christianity would have been shot straight down in the first days of of its existence if people could just uh, walk over to the tomb and find the decaying body of Jesus still there. But, uh, so couldn't they just say that uh, Jesus' body was stolen from his tomb? Yeah, in in fact, that is the main ar- uh, argument to to the point that we've been talking about is that uh, in reality, Jesus' body was stolen and that they faked the resurrection. And uh, the problem is that there are many holes in that argument. First and foremost is which is we have to take a look at who would steal the body. And there's three groups of people that could have done it. It would have been the Romans, the Jews, or the followers of Jesus. Uh, and the Jews had just succeeded in getting Jesus killed um, and really eliminating the threat of Jesus um, to their power. It wouldn't make any sense for them to steal the body, uh, and then have the followers of Jesus believe that he had risen from the dead because it obviously it reinvigorated the, uh, the apostles, all the disciples of Jesus to believe that what they had heard all this time when Jesus was alive was true. So it couldn't be the Jews. That's one group. The Romans wouldn't have done it because, well, like I said, Christianity was illegal uh, and the Romans wanted no part in having Jesus deified, worshipped as a god. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he had defeated death, then obviously that's what people would do, would worship him as a god. So that's the Romans. You come to the, the group that would be most likely to try and steal his body, and that would be the followers of Jesus. There's a couple of reasons why uh, that really couldn't be the case. The first reason is that um, Jesus... T- the The Romans feared exactly this happening, that the, the Jesus followers would come and steal the body. So they put uh, guards on the tomb uh, for the entire the entirety of that weekend, uh, the evening of Good Friday, uh, all of Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. And there was a Roman guard there the whole time. So, and, you know, obviously they came to the tomb in the morning uh, on the morning of Easter Sunday, and the tomb was empty while there was a guard there. So it really, it couldn't have even been uh, uh, Jesus' followers that stole the body. So in fact, the the truth of Jesus' resurrection uh, just kind of shows forth. So that's really what we're celebrating here on Easter Sunday, um, the fact that Jesus did conquer death and, and rose from the tomb. Coming up after the break, we will talk about, well, Jesus left. He's got to come back sometime. Uh, so maybe a little talk about the end of the world when we come back. St. Gabriel's gift shop is now open offering gifts of faith for all occasions and sacraments, featuring gifts for baptism, communion, confirmation, and RCIA. Open daily after Mass, Saturday 9 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. and Sunday 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. And welcome back. So, Adam, how many times have you lived through the end of the world? Well, Eddie, it says on my resume that I've survived three apocalypses. Well, okay, apocalypses. Can you have plural apocalypse? Well, according to the dictionary, it does say that it's apocalypses or apocalypses. It doesn't really give a pronunciation. But if it's happened, 
There can't be another one. Well, I understand, which is why I prefer to refer to them as pseudo apocalypse. Now you're just making everything confusing. That's why. That's how I like to do it. Mm. Uh, so several predictions of the apocalypse have been made throughout history. The Jehovah's Witnesses alone have predicted the end of the world in 1914, 1915, 1918, 1920, 1925, 1941, 1975, and 1994. Looks like I need to update my resume. Right? You would think that after those first three in a row there in, uh, in the space of four years, they'd, they'd just call it a day and stop, but no. Double or nothing. <laughs> And Literally, then quadruple or nothing, <laughs> and then octuple or nothing, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know where to go from there. Uh, more recently, we've all survived the supposed computer rebellion of the year 2000, the predicted apocalypse of May 21st, 2011, which was then revised to October 11th, 2011, and we have the upcoming end of the Mayan calendar on December 21st of this year. Mm. Those first two are uh, actually the ones that I counted on my uh, resume. I see. Excellent. Which Excellent. Well, you can add the 94 one now, too. Well, yeah, the ni- Well, from that whole string of numbers, I've got to add, like, what is it, seven or so? Six or seven? Well, there were eight, but you weren't alive for some of those, so I don't know if you can really add them to your resume. Oh, that's true. Okay, I'll add the 94. I survived, like, four, and after 21st, it'll be about five. There you go. Uh-huh. A-, a couple of things about that uh, the Mayan calendar one. Uh, Really, if you look into it, it appears as though the Mayans just, it's the end of a calendar cycle. It's like for us going from December 31st to January 1st, but apparently they ran out of paper, so they didn't, you know, cross over to the next year, and now everybody thinks the world's going to end. Also, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, the Mayans did not observe leap years. Yes. Uh So uh, according to the calendar that we follow against the calendar that the Mayans followed, in reality, the apocalypse has already happened. Yes, yes, it was so supposed to happen three years ago. I can yeah, already at it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, why do you think people have this fascination with the end of the world? Well, Eddie, probably for the same reason that people have fascination with zombies. And why do people have a fascination with zombies? Because it's uh, has to do with death. Okay, okay, I can get behind that. If, but, it, if it has to do with zombies, you should probably be running from it. Ah, I see. But well, can can zombies make a full one eighty turn? I don't know. I don't know. know. So maybe that's the secret. Just get behind them. Yeah, just follow behind them. But did you know that Scripture says in in Matthew twenty four, but of that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Oh yes, Eddie, I'm I'm actually quite aware of that. I find it funny how people keep trying to guess, even though it says they won't know. So probably if they were right. It'll change. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I always, I always take heart when people guess because I go back to that scripture and I say, "Huh? Well, they've guessed that day. It won't be that day." Yeah, yeah. God's probably up there going, "Oh, wow! They actually got it this time. Looks like I'm changing it again." Here we go. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, be awesome. But why do you think people feel the need to guess? I think it's just uh, grasping that whole concept of mortality. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe also it's because the end of the world is is in the Bible, uh, uh, in the book of Revelation. It's going to happen. <laughs> um, but in reality, did you know that the Revelation, the book of Revelation is not about the end of the world? It's not. That's, that's true, it's not. Uh, <laughs> in fact, uh, St. John wrote the book, uh, John the, the Beloved Apostle, um, the one who was always... Uh, 
very close to, you know, he took very much a lot of pride in his relationship with Christ and being uh, one of the the favored apostles of Christ. Now, this this is not John the Baptist, right? No, it's not See, John now, the, the Baptist. See, that's why I was confused for the longest time with that. I always thought it was like, because you always hear about John the Baptist. I'm like, that's, that's obviously the book of John. No, it's uh, wrong. John John the Baptist was actually the cousin of Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. This uh, this John was one of the apostles and a, and a dear friend of Jesus. Um, John wrote the book uh, as it was an interpretation and a telling of visions and dreams that he had had. And to the best that we've been able to figure out, that the book was actually written about the fall of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. and that all the prophecies that that are made in the uh, in the book come true in the fall of the Roman Empire. Um, For another, uh, perhaps a better perspective on this, uh, we were privileged uh, about a year ago to have had Jim Blackburn come and talk to our core team. Uh, He's a good man. Yes, he is. He's an apologist with Catholic Answers, uh, so you work with him on a daily basis. He works down the hall for me. There you go. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's he's very intelligent and actually answers this question uh, quite well. So we're going to go ahead and play that clip for you, and then we'll discuss it when we come back out of it. That's uh, one of the biggest questions that Christians argue about today. And from our Catholic perspective, we really, the, the church doesn't have a, you know, a line-by-line interpretation of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, if you've read it, it's apocalyptic literature. It's the only book in the New Testament that's apocalyptic, like Daniel in the New Testament. And, and it's something that clearly is written not to be easily understood. I mean, it's there's, there's like code in there, maybe, you know. And it's something that was written, though, to a specific audience for a specific time. Most Catholic theologians recognize, and scripture scholars recognize, that the, the prophecy in the book of Revelation was fulfilled, you know, around, the, shortly after it was written, you know, in the, in the first century, and possibly some in the second century, but the and that would seem to be the primary focus of what the Book of Revelation was written about was for its own time and for its own initial readers. Now that's not to say though that prophecy can't be fulfilled in other ways, and that when we read Scripture, we recognize that that oftentimes we, we see prophecy in the Old Testament that was re- written and intended for an audience at a particular time and fulfilled at that time, but later was fulfilled in a greater way through Christ. Well, in a similar way, it could be that some of what's in the book of Revelation may be fulfilled even in a greater way that's coming in the future. But the church doesn't have a, uh, a definition uh, and a, a, uh, a commentary, if you will, on on the book of Revelation. But if you want to read about what uh, Catholic scholars typically, how they read the book of Revelation and what they recognize to be uh, what was being prophesied and the fulfillment of those prophecies, we have some information at catholic.com on that. If you go to our website in the library section, we have a tract on that that goes through and explains, you know, that the original Antichrist, probably the Emperor Nero, and that uh, a lot of the tribulation and such that was expected from the book of Revelation that's laid out. The thousand years is is a uh, thousand year of Christ we're in now. You know, it's the it's not a literal thousand years. It's just a long time. It's the, the age of the church being led by Christ before Christ returns. So those are 
historical, authentic Christian interpretations of the book of, of Revelation. But that's not to say we can't see more in, in it than that. What we can't do, though, is anything that's been condemned by the church, uh, like millennialism, you know, saying that, that there's going to be a, a, a rapture, and then seven years of tribulation, and then a thousand year reign of Christ on earth, and then, or seven years of tribulation, and then a rapture, and then a thousand years. You know, that's something that is very recent in Christian history. That just coming about in the last 150 years or so, and it's not something that's consistent with authentic historical Christianity. Okay, so Jim had a couple of uh, points in that in that in that answer, um, and one of them was uh, that that was uh, most Catholic theologians would agree that that uh, prophecy was fulfilled uh, shortly after it was made, but that it might have a greater fulfillment upcoming, just as many of the Old Testament prophecies did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to touch on one of the things you pointed out uh, during the the question and answers uh, se- uh, session there. Um, he said that it was written uh, for a specific audience at the time. That uh, And that this is uh, similar to how, uh, how God doesn't uh, give you something that you're not ready for. Like mm-hmm. um, earlier in, in the Bible, we see we've got basically, you know, eye for an eye kind of law. This is in earlier parts of humanity. And then we, we were given the Mosaic Law, you know, the Ten Commandments. And then when, when Jesus uh, comes, we're now given the love your, your neighbor as yourself. And so it, it's basically, it's progressing on, you know, what uh, God's giving us for when we can handle it. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, so we see that uh, it, it can be very difficult to interpret Scripture, uh, and especially without... Um, the magisterium of the church to, to help us and guide us and let us know when we're a little bit off track in 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 trying to interpret scripture. Uh, it's, it's just nice to have that uh, to fall back on and, and just have that authority uh, of the church to, to help us out and, and guide us in the right direction. Uh, that'll do it for this week's episode. I'd like to thank, as always, my co- co-host Adam, uh, our engineer, Kyle, um, I'd like to especially this week thank uh, Catholic Answers and Jim Blackburn for uh, allowing us to use that material. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank uh, Brenda, who read the ad today, and I'd like to thank our, our in-studio guests, Tommy, Amy, and Brenda. Um, if you are interested in coming to a recording uh, of one of these podcasts, just let us know at one of the Life Nights. Uh, we will see you next time.